This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Uh, we start tonight with one of radio's most prickly stars. Uh, that is difficult to deal with if you were a sponsor. The Fred Allen Show was a popular and long-running American old-time radio comedy program starring comedian Fred Allen and his wife, Portland Hoffa. Now, over the course of the program's 17-year run, it was sponsored by several companies, including Hellman's, Ipana, Texaco, Tenderleaf Tea, too. And the program ended in 1949 under the sponsorship of the Ford Motor Company. Fred Allen's going to drop by with his usual assortment of oddballs who live on Allen's Alley. Uh, you can also include um, average American Joe, Do- uh, pardon me, John Doe, played by John Brown, Mrs. Nussbaum, played by Minerva Pius, pompous poet Falstaff Openshaw, a creation of, by Allen Reed, Titus Moody, played by Parker Fenley, and that lets uh, not forget boisterous Southern Senator Beauregard Cleghorn, who is played by announcer Kenny Delmar. Now, as I noted off the top, Fred was noted for his battles with network officials during his radio years, which often led to the censoring of a few moments to minutes of his show. These battles apparently date back to Town Hall tonight. To try to control his behavior... Network officials began making Allen submit verbatim scripts prior to the air for their approval. Now, oftentimes, network officials would make Allen delete or revise a joke here and there before approving the script for final approval. In retaliation, Allen began inserting jokes in his script that he had no intention of using on air as bargaining chips for the network, agreeing to cut certain jokes in exchange for others. In addition, Allen would often ad-lib material, and since most radio programs in those days were broadcast live, with the exception of the occasional delay here and there, the audience would sometimes hear a bleep in place of a word or a phrase. Well, such an incident happened in the night of April 20, 1947, the broadcast of The Fred Allen Show. Allen was censored for 30 seconds. And when he referred to an imaginary NBC vice president who was, quote, in charge of program ends, <laughs> he went on to explain to his audience that this vice president saved these hours, minutes, and seconds that radio programs ran over there a lot of time until he had two weeks' worth of them, and then he used them for a two-week vacation. In the coming weeks, several other comedians were also sent for, censored for speaking out about the Allen incident, Red Skelton and Bob Hope, to name a few. After some time of public outcry and protests, NBC indicated it would no longer censor future broadcasts of any show for similar instances. 
Tonight we take a trip back to 1946 when Phil Baker is the special guest. Now, he was a comedian whose solo act included him singing, playing the accordion, telling jokes, and being heckled by a planted audience member called JoJo. And he was the host of the quiz show, Take It or Leave It, which later changed its title to The $64 Question. Now, Phil Baker appeared briefly on television. Brief? <laughs> I'll say. In 1951, he hosted the panel quiz show Who's Who's, which was canceled after one episode. So, here we go with the Fred Allen Show. It isn't a friend of Gladys Sabisco's, kiddies. The makers of Blue Bonnet Margarine and Tenderleaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Phil Baker, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you're wondering who plays Senator Claghorn, my name is Kenny Delmar. This week, ladies and gentlemen, Bing Crosby's sponsor started suit to get Bing to go back on the air. Tonight, we bring you a man whose sponsor is thinking of starting suit to get him off the air, and here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Kenny, I was reading about that Bing Crosby suit. You know, I don't uh, really think that Bing wants to work. I hear he's moving to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to a nice dull start. <laughs> Anything that happens from now on will be a highlight. <laughs> well, what about your sponsor, Fred? Well, our sponsor thinks, I believe, he thinks we're a little behind the times with our show, Kenny. Well, how do you mean? Well, all of the other radio programs don't bother with entertainment anymore. They're just giving things away. Jack Benny's giving away $10,000. Bob Hope's giving away Jeeps. And Red Skelton is giving away automobiles. Yeah, well, don't you think you should give something away, Fred? I was just going to announce it, Kenny. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Starting next week, to every person who wins an automobile on Red Skelton's program, I will give a road map. <laughs> I'll even open it. The party's too weak. I'll even open the road map. Well, that ought to cause plenty of talk. Yes. <laughs> and it's the kind of talk I don't want to be around to hear, Kenny. I have enough trouble the way things are. Well, Portland. Kenny and I were just talking about radio programs giving things away. Oh, radio is wonderful. Well, how do you mean? My uncle was on a program called Blind Date. Oh, uh, what happened? His number was called, and he had to take out a chorus girl. I see. Next day, they both went on a program called People Are Funny, and he proposed to her. He did, huh? Then they went on a program called Honeymoon in New York. And got married over 150 stations. 150 stations, good. Then they went on Truth or Consequences and won enough furniture for their house. They lived happily ever after? No. They went on Battle of the Sexes and had a big fight. Well, is the marriage off? Well, we won't know until tomorrow. Well, what's tomorrow? They're on Mr. Anthony's program. <laughs> 
They have completed their happy kilo cycle, in other words. But you know, you were... You can almost, you can almost get anything in, in uh, radio today. But sometimes things go wrong. Well, how do you mean? Mama wrote a limerick for the National Barn Dance Contest. And something went wrong? Instead of the first prize of a hundred bottles of Alka-Seltzer... Yeah? They sent her two hillbillies. Two hillbillies. <laughs> well, how did your mother, with her broken lawnette, know that... <laughs> With her mother with that limp lawnette that hangs down so she can't look through it. How did she know the difference? Well, she put one of the hillbillies in water. And? He didn't fizz. Oh, well, that would give it away. <laughs> Probably made the water good and dirty, though. But speaking of fizzes reminds me, <laughs> we better start thinking of getting along to see those old familiar fizzes down in Allen's Alley. What is your question for tonight? Well, Portland, this week, the New York movie critics made their annual awards for the outstanding films and performances of 1945. And so this evening, our question is, if you are a movie fan, what pictures and performances impressed you most during the past year? Shall we go? As the druggist said when he had a headache, I think I'll take a powder. <laughs> Well, Portland, here we are back in Allen's Alley. Hey, the senator's home tonight. His hound dog is curled up there under the porch. See it? Somebody, I say, somebody now. Yes, I know. Claghorn's the name, Senator Claghorn. I know, I know. You're from Dixie. When I eat crackers in bed, I only eat Georgia crackers. Now, wait a minute. When I leave New York, I always take the South Ferry. Now, wait a minute. Way down upon the Swanee River. You're a little I'm black. singing Swanee, son. Well, I know what you're singing. Show some reverence, son. Kneel down and uncover. Now, wait a minute. Stop eating your gum, son. Now, just let, let me, me get... talk for a change. Change, that is. You let me get a word in. Keep chattering, son. I don't even get a chance. Your tongue is going like a cow's tail in fly time. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> While you're taking in a little wind, Senator, do you mind if I intersperse something in here? What was Washington's reaction to the choice of the most popular movie stars? We took our own poll in Congress. Yeah. Everybody was talking all at once. Even Senator Brooks was babbling. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Babbling Brooks, that's a joke. I know it. Galveston <laughs> <laughs> Gaffar. I don't care. There's a Savannah Sakaru. Look, I don't care. I crack wise and you look dumb. I'm looking <laughs> dumb. Hold up, son, you're subnormal. Stop that in. Now, wait a minute. Be careful how low you go, even in water, Senator. Now, you watch that stuff stuff. Now, look, about these Hollywood stars. Are you a movie fan? I quit, I say, I quit going to movies, son. Why? Last picture I saw made my down yonder blood boil. Your down yonder blood was boiling, eh? Well, what happened? At the end of the picture, Ann Southern married Cary Grant. But why? Uh... I couldn't stand to see another Grant taking anything Southern. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, well, goodbye, go on, well, <laughs> the senator, <laughs> the senator must have just finished dinner, I, I smelled a little hog jowl on his breath, <laughs> oh, well, I, um, uh, I wonder, let's get along down the alley. I wonder what Titus Moody has on his mind tonight. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Um, 
Mr. Moody, you uh, you look a little weary tonight. Yeah, I've had tough sledding all week. Oh, why uh, why should you have tough sledding? No snow. Oh. No. <laughs> Tell me, uh, Mr. Moody, how do you feel about these movie awards? Boris Karloff should have won. You think that he's the best actor? No, Tindy's acting. Well, what makes you such an ardent Karloff fan? Well, I'll tell you. I got a big wart on my Adam's apple. Oh, a wart, eh? Yeah, it's right here under my collar button. I see it there. When I put on my collar, the collar button presses against the wart. Yeah? The wart presses against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. Oh, with what, uh... The only pleasure, the only pleasure I've had for ten years, I owe Boris Karloff. Well, how do you mean? Well, when I go into theater, my collar button is pressing against the wart. Yeah? The wart's pressing against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. <laughs> Yes. Then Boris Karloff comes on the screen. Yes. My flesh starts to creep. Yes. The wart creeps up over my car. Yes. I can't explain the feeling. It's utopia. And... <laughs> when the picture is over, then the wart creeps back down. The collar button starts pressing. I'm in agonizing pain again. <laughs> Well, as far as you and your water are concerned, outside of Boris Karloff... All them other Hollywood actors is just a pain in the neck. So long, bud. So long. <laughs> well, when Boris Karloff is in town, Mr. Moody's wart is going places. Now, let's see what happens next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Olivia de Halavar? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you a movie fan? Not me, my husband, Pierre. Oh, Pierre, Pierre likes pictures, huh? Every day you're seeing movies, always in Technicolor. Oh, Technicolor, huh? To Pierre, every picture is looking Technicolor. Well, how come? His eyes are bloodshot. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you see so many movies bother Pierre? Always he is coming home with different personalities. Well, how do you mean? Pierre is seeing a picture with uh, Ronald Coleman. Yeah. He is making with an English accent. Oh, eh? Really? He is opening the door and saying, Was much to old crumpet? Was to old crumpet, eh? Also, Zagazunt and Chirial. And he's certainly cultured, what? He is seeing in a picture Bingle and Crosby. Yes. Around the house, Pierre is singing, I see. <laughs> when Pierre is seeing Bob Hope, yes. he is making with rice crackles. Well, say, with such a versatile husband, you must be very happy. I am getting a divorce. Well, why? Last week, Pierre is seeing in a picture of Tarzan. So? He is refusing to live home. You mean you can't get him into the house? I can't get him down from the tree. <laughs> At the last shack in Allen's Alley. I wonder what a knock will bring here. Sound the trumpets, round me rally. Falstaff's back in Allen's Alley. Falstaff's open, sir. Well, welcome to town, Falstaff. Happy homecoming. Thank you, oh, Where have you been? I have been enjoying a sabbatical on the Bowery. Oh, you... <laughs> You've been coining new dactyl? Oh, indubitably. Really? Have you heard, said the bumblebee to the little flea? 
Don't touch that stuff, it's DDT. <laughs> no. Or, uh, as the waiter said when he brought the horseradish, I hope that covers your beef. <laughs> no. How about this? My mother is lonesome when she goes to a fire. LaGuardia isn't there, and neither is O'Dwyer. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. That is, you've overdone it finally, Falstaff. Tonight, we are simply discussing the Critics' Awards for the best films of 1945. Precisely why I greyhounded it. <laughs> I have contrived an epic. A poem about the movie awards? What is it called? The Forgotten Award. And how does it go? Each year, the critics give awards to pictures and to actors. The direction and performances they term deciding factors. Paramount is cited an award to movie tone, a plaque to Ingrid Bergman. Even Lassie gets a bone. I hail the movie industry, but I also must remind him that an award should be awarded to the man who is behind it. This guy makes Hollywood possible. He's not director, star, or picket. He's just the average man who digs down and buys a ticket. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And from the ranch of rhymes of Bard Openshaw, we turn to the refreshing refrains of the five DeMarco sisters. Accompanied by, <laughs> accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his United Nations Ensemble, <laughs> the DeMarco sings The Moment I Met You. Got the funniest feeling, didn't know what to do. See, my heart began reeling the moment I met you. Chasing Rainbows, another in the Maestro Al Goodman series of Remnant Rhapsody. Say, Portland. Yes? Has that uh, lawyer called me yet? Lawyer? Are you in trouble? Am I in trouble? All week I've been in more hot water than a slice of lemon in a Russian tea room. <laughs> I am out on bail right now. Gosh, what happened? Well, you've read that line in some other program we've had. I, that's very reminiscent. <laughs> well, Portland, you want to know what happened? The whole thing started last Sunday night after the broadcast. You know, I generally go over to the Hamburger Hovel on 8th Avenue. For a nickel over there, they serve a hamburger as big as a catcher's mitt. Even a buckle in the back of the hamburger. <laughs> they, put the, they put the piccalilli on with a trowel. Well, I took a cab at Radio City, and we were driving along the street. 
We had gone a few blocks when the driver said... Uh, you said the hamburger hobble, didn't you, bud? Yes, driver. Okay. Hey, Miss Busy, as a termite in the woodwork, I'm as jumpy as a yo-yo on a string. Boy, can that Sinatra write music. Say, driver, driver, just a minute, driver. Stop the cab. Okay, okay. Something wrong? Something wrong, chump? I just felt in my pocket. My wallet's gone. I must have left it at the studio. You mean you ain't got no dough? Well, I I haven't any money with me. I mean, this me. is a buck even. Get it up, Chisler. Now, well, look, if you'll just take me back to Radio City... So you can beat it out the other door, huh? I had that fool on me before, chum. Where's that crank handle? Now, look, driver. <laughs> Come on, out of the cab. I'm going to crown you with this crank handle. Now, wait a minute. Take this. <laughs> you rats, you duck. <laughs> Now, don't lose your head, driver. You broke my window. I broke your window. You broke the window. Well, if you'd have stood still, I'd have hit you. <laughs> now, look. A dollar on the meter, seven for the window. That's eight bucks you owe me. Now, I'll pay you the money. Don't get excited. Your blood pressure will go up, driver. I'm, uh, I'm Fred Allen. Sure, and I'm Jack Benny. Look, no hair. Yeah. <laughs> Rich stalling, wise guy. Give me eight bucks. Say, look, driver. Look. Across the street there. It's a radio studio, so what? Well, that sign. It says, tonight, Phil Baker in Take It or Leave It. So what? Say, I've got an idea. Now, Phil Baker's program goes on the air in about five minutes. I'll go on Take It or Leave It. I'll change my name. Phil Baker won't even know who I am. I'll answer four of those easy questions. I'll quit with the eight dollars. You'll have your money. Now, is it a deal? Okay. But you better win, brother. I got insurance. Insurance? This crank handles me insurance. Let's go. All right. Well, Portland, the cab driver and I got into the radio studio just in time. Luck was with me. My number was called. I was chosen as a contestant. I was sitting on the stage... The cab driver was glaring at me from the front row when I heard the announcer say... Presenting Take It or Leave It, starring Phil Baker. Yes, Take It or Leave It, the most exciting game you ever played. The game that doubles in interest with every question asked. The game with the giant jackpot. And now we give you the man with the $64 question, our paymaster of ceremonies, and here he is, Phil Baker. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the halls of Montezuma. <laughs> Boy, there are plenty of people here tonight. I haven't seen such a crowd since the window shade in Betty Grable's dressing room fell down. <laughs> but I really feel swell. You know, last Sunday night, Secretary Burns was pinch-hitting for me, answering some Russian $64 question. So I went to Florida for a rest. Florida. Folks, there is a state. That's where the sun goes to get away from that California weather. It's a waste of time... <laughs> It's a waste of time to go to Florida, though. You go down there, your face is white. You get a great tan. You check out of the hotel, get your bill, and <laughs> you turn white again. <laughs> Those prices in Miami. I had a room overlooking a grapefruit for $18 a day. <laughs> and speaking of grapefruit, here's our first contestant. What is your name, miss? Shirley S. Gum. Shirley S. Gum? What does the S stand for? Spearman. <laughs> Where's your home, Shirley? Out of the Brooklyn. And what is your occupation, Shirley? I work in Bloomingdale's. I'm a laugher. A laugher at Bloomingdale's? Yeah, when women come in and ask for nylons, I laugh at them. You laugh at them. 
I've heard of let a smile be your umbrella, but let a laugh be your nylons is a new one on me. Now, Miss Gum, what category have you selected from the board? Uh, popular music. Good, popular music. For one dollar, what is the name of this popular song? All right, what is the name of that popular song? Popular? I never heard of it. It's very popular. It ain't in Brooklyn. It ain't... <laughs> now, now, think. What, what, was, what was that song? Hmm? Chick? 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 Three chicks and a chuck? No. Chickery chick! Yeah, I think I got it, Mr. Baker, is it? Chickery chick? Did you hear somebody yell that in the audience? Did somebody yell something? <laughs> you know, I'm as deep as a haddock. Yeah. I was born with two cauliflower ears. My mother was in the golden glove. <laughs> well, all right, I'm going to give you the dollar. Would you like to try it with two? Yeah, give it a buck. You're quitting? Yeah, my boyfriend's a collar sitter. He just wants a sample. I see. Come on. Come on. Well, that brings us to our next contestant, and your name, sir? Prentice Pontoon. <laughs> Prentice Pontoon, did you yes. receive a present before you came up to the microphone? Uh, yes, sir, an ever-sharp fountain pair. Right, and it's guaranteed, not for years, not for life, but guaranteed forever. Yes, sir. You look a little nervous. Would you like a cup of tea? I, I thought you served coffee, Mr. Baker. Not on this program. You'll take tea or a drink of hot blue bonnet margarine. <laughs> No, no, thanks. You say your name is, uh, um... Prentice Pontoon. Did anyone ever tell you that you looked like Fred Allen? Yes, I've been beaten up twice by radio listeners. <laughs> You've even got bags under your eyes like Allen. Yes, I know. What is your occupation, Mr. Pontoon? I am an oculist in a fish market. <laughs> oculist in a fish market? When they lay a lot of dead fish in a fish market window... Yes? I check on their eyes to make sure the fish are all looking in the same direction. Oh. <laughs> if one fish is looking the other way, it throws the whole window off. Yes. <laughs> You're just working for the halibut. Yes. Now, uh... <laughs> you know, I get people on this program with the darndest occupation. Really? One guy works in a restaurant on Second Avenue. He's a lentil feeler. A lentil feeler? Yes. If you order lentil soup, he puts his hand in and feels your lentils. <laughs> yeah. He takes out the hard lentils so they won't hurt your gums. That's messy work, <laughs> yes, I <should> think. <laughs> That's a joke, sir. I just want to... Another guy is a booster at the automat. When bo- midgets come into the automat, he boosts them up so that they can see what dishes are in the top compartment. Well, that's nice work. Actually. Another guy is a perfume advisor in a five and ten cent store. A perfume advisor? Yes. When you take the top off a bottle, he tells you if what you smell is the perfume or another customer. Oh. <laughs> you have some uh, odd characters on your program, Mr. Baker. Tonight, especially. What would you like to talk about, Mr. Pontoon? Well, I think... How about uh, movie stars, world history, music? Uh, uh, world All history. All right, Mr. Pontoon, for one dollar. Take it easy now. Yeah. Who is the president of the United States? No coaching, please. <laughs> the president. He uh, was on the radio last Thursday instead of Abbott and Costello. That's, one, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He said to Congress, you're bad boy. <laughs> What's the president's name? Uh, think now. Herman Truman. Well, that's close enough. Okay, you have a dollar. Hey, you're okay, chum. Quiet, please. No help from the audience. Do you want to try it for two bucks with the pontoon? He's better. 
Well, what do you say? Well, you heard him. I'll try for two dollars. Good. When you see pictures of Napoleon with his hand inside of his coat, what modern cartoon character does he remind you of? Itchy. Itchy is correct. <laughs> You're a very intelligent young man. He better be intelligent. Quiet. Who is this character in the audience? A friend of yours? The next two questions will decide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who is he waving that crank handle at? Well, he ordered a new car, but so far the crank handle is all he's gotten from General Motors. <laughs> okay, Mr. Pontoon, for $4, what brand of tea was used at the Boston Tea Party? Tenderleaf tea. Tenderleaf tea is absolutely correct. Now for eight bucks, Mr. Pontoon... Why did Sitting Bull sit down? Would you uh, repeat the question, please, Mr. Bates? For $8, why did Sitting Bull sit down? Uh, he was waiting for the cows to come home. No. You give up? Well, I... You'll be sorry! <laughs> His suspenders broke? No. You don't know, do you? Frankly, I don't, Mr. Well, Baker. Well, I'm sorry. Sitting Bull sat down because in those days there were so many things he couldn't stand for. See? Sorry, stand by for the giant jackpot. Yes, sir, Mr. Baker. Well, Portland, after I lost the giant jackpot, too, and the program was over, I sneaked out the side door. The cab driver and the crank handle were waiting for me. I didn't have the money, so I offered him the fountain pen Phil Baker had given me. The cab driver said... A fountain pen? First you chiseled me out of eight bucks, now you want me to learn how to write, eh? Police! Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, driver. This pen is worth $20. You'll be making $12. You can sell it to somebody. You sell it to somebody. All I want is eight bucks. Okay. The people are coming out of the broadcast now. I'll go around in front of the theater and sell it to someone. Me and the crank handle will be sitting in the cab waiting. Make it snappy. Cad, what a predicament. At my age, a sidewalk peddler. Well, the audience is coming out. I'll try this guy here. Hey. Hey, buddy. Yes? I got a $20 fountain pen. It's yours for eight bucks. Look. Under my coat. Look under my coat. A badge. You're a detective. Yeah, I've been looking for you, Black Market Moe. But officer... First it was fake almond bars with stones in them. Now it's hot fountain pen. But I'm not Black Market Moe. I'm Fred Allen. I just got this fountain pen on Take It or Leave It. Honest, look. Here's Phil Baker coming out of the theater. Phil can identify me. Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, officer. What's the trouble? Tell him who I am, Phil. You know me. I'm Fred Allen. You know this character, Mr. Baker? Yes, I know him. Tell him who I am, Phil. Well, he's Prentice Pontoon. Phil. I'm Fred Allen on the radio. You're an oculist in a fish market. Uh, thanks, Mr. Baker. Come on, you. But, but, Phil, don't let him take me to court. I'll have to do time. You bet you will. But I... But for selling an Ebershaw pen on the street, <laughs> you'll go to jail not for years, not for life, but forever. Okay, black market now, let's go. Now, Kenny, with a flattering word about the American woman. All over the world, the American woman is famous for her beauty. Her home is the ideal in other lands, too, and the way she runs it. She is practical about her home, her appearance, her dress, all her shopping. And it's being so practical that makes her choose Tenderleaf tea balls over all others. Yes, Tenderleaf tea balls are better in every way. That's why they're the largest selling tea balls in America. They provide finer tea, rich in fragrance, richer in flavor, made with famous for flavor Tenderleaf brand tea. Their greater convenience is a big help, too. Individual packets of tasteless filter paper, crisp white and appealing, ready any time to drop into your cup for a cup of quick comfort when you need it most. That's all there is to it. Just add boiling water and your quick comfort is ready. Heartwarming, delicious, crystal clear Tenderleaf tea. So for every good reason, ask your grocer for Tenderleaf brand tea balls. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks, Phil Baker. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, our guest will be the eminent Shakespearean actor and star of Hamlet, Maurice Evans. Thanks a lot for joining us and good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. 
Thank you. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Boston Blackie next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Boston Blackie and the Sam Bellows case. And a bullseye of a hundred. One hundred and fifty points. Let's see you do better than that with three dots, Monahan. Go ahead, go ahead, toss them. Fifty. Thirty. On the line, almost a bullseye, but it's only seventy-five. What's seventy-five, Inspector Faraday? Twice your IQ. Who said you could commit a police headquarters, Blanky? Get out of here. Faraday, you've tried to escort me in here yourself a dozen times. What about it? Get out of here now, I'm warning you. One of these dots will go wild. How many points does it count if I catch it between the teeth? What do you want, Blakey? You. Which shows how easy I am to satisfy. Okay. Monahan, get lost. We'll go on with our game a little later. I'd better be alone with this guy. Talkative guy, that Monahan. What do you want, Blakey? Come on, I'm busy. I've come down here to make you a very happy person, Inspector. Well, leave now and you got what you came for. Now get away from that target. Thirty? <clears throat> on the line, Faraday. It's only ten. Ever hear of a guy named Bellows? No. <clears throat> ah, 50. Lucky shot. Sam Bellows, a cripple. I never heard of him. Is that all you came down here for? <clears throat> 75. Ah, that's better. That's awful. I suppose you can do better. Than you? The answer is yes, no matter what you might be referring to. Give me the dot. A three is all you get. Then you get moving, you hear? I think you'd better go down and see the Sam Bellows, Inspector. Oh, you do. And that's nice of you. Why? Because he's dead. Bullseye, that's a hundred. So he's dead, so what? So he probably died of natural causes. That's true enough. There's nothing unnatural about dying when you've been murdered. <coughs> Bullseye, hundred points more. Fellows has been murdered? How do you know that? Come on, come on, talk. Sure, Inspector. You see, I killed him. <coughs> Bullseye. Now back to Richard Calmer's Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy... Friend to those who have no friends. How many more times do I have to tell you, Faraday? I killed the guy. You expect me to fall for a story like that? I'm beginning to see why I have to solve so many cases for you. You won't even believe a confession. All right, Blackie. What's the trick? Faraday, someday you'll be arrested for impersonating a police officer. It's no trick. I tell you, I killed Sam Bellows. Where's the body? Now you're getting smart, Inspector. In an old brownstone house at the corner of West Boulevard and 110th Street. All right. I'll go have a look. You mean we'll go have a look? I'll go have a look. You'll go get lost. You're wanting to go with me as some kind of a gag. And I'm not falling for it. My, how times have changed. You're usually trying to catch me for doing something I didn't do. This time I confess to a murder and you want to get rid of me. If you don't get out of here, Blanky, I'll arrest you for... I'll think of something. After you found Sam Bellow's body, Inspector, maybe a reason to arrest me will occur to you. Mary, that's probably Charlie Kingston. Let him in, will you? Oh, of course, Dad. Come on, come on, Happy. Hey, hey. I, I suppose he's happy, but uh, what is he? 
Abby. Down, down, down. Where did you get your sidekick, Charlie? Oh, look. At a kennel or a stable? Look out, Blackie. Now he's going to jump all over you. Nice boy. Nice boy. Down. Down. <laughs> You're going to have my right arm just as soon as I'm through. Down, honey. Oh, Charlie, what is that? A dog. If that's a dog, what's a horse? <laughs> I'll admit he's a little large, Blackie, but he's harmless. <laughs> harmless? He tried to devour us before we were even introduced. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Mary. He was just making love to you. Happy's a very strange animal. Pays no attention to me or to anyone else he knows well. He only likes strangers. Well, introduce us to him quick before we stampede it. Maybe I'd better put it in the kitchen. Good idea. Oh, close the hall door, will you, Blackie? Sure. Come on, come on, happy nice boy. Nice boy. Oh, wait a minute, Charlie. The kitchen door opens out. Will you pull it towards you? Okay. <laughs> I hope you don't mind if happy plays in here, Mary. Of course she doesn't, Charlie. She wants a new kitchen anyway. <laughs> what kind of a dog is that, Charlie, besides big? We'll talk about happy later. I want to know if you saw Sam Bellows. His house is impossible to break into, and he wouldn't see me in any normal way, so I went to Inspector Faraday and told him I had killed Bellows. What? Blackie! Don't worry, he didn't believe me. He went to investigate, but he wouldn't take me with him, so that idea is wasted. Maybe he went too far. Um, can't we talk about something besides murder just before dinner? I'm sorry, Mary. Well, this, uh, this is just before dinner, isn't it? Forgive the delay, Mary. You can have anything your heart desires at any restaurant you name. Oh, wonderful. What are we waiting for? Charlie, isn't the girl in love supposed to lose her appetite? Well, that's the way I always heard it. Mary, how you must hate me. Come on, come on, Roland. Haven't you cut through that door yet? Come on, let's hold you up. This is just an acetylene torch, Inspector Faraday, not a 20-millimeter tank gun. And this is a steel door. Yeah. Now I know why Blanky gave me that cock and bull story about killing this guy, Bellows. Why? There's probably no such guy as Bellows. We rang every bell we could find, nobody answered. And why did Blanky say he killed him? There's something in this house Blanky wants. And he figured he could steal it right under my nose once he got inside. What made him think you'd get a miss? He knows I chipped my way barehanded through a brick wall to pin something on him. Maybe nobody answers the door, and a corner of everybody inside is dead. Maybe Blackie wasn't lying. All right, that'll be enough out of you, Roland. Get busy with that blowtorch. I want to... There she is, Inspector. Now we can walk in. The door hasn't been open for a while. Well, somebody lives here, all right. There's a light at the end of the hall. Spooky, John. Ah, oh, you've been to too many movies. Hello, thanks, somebody. Hey, you! Yeah. Hey, you! Right, you were deaf as that. I told you, you saw too many movies. Hey, you! Just keep walking down the hall. Well, he's not dead, anyhow. Maybe he's a zombie. You've been to the movies once or twice yourself, Inspector. Come on, let's go after Hey, you! What's the matter? Can't you hear? Hey, wait a minute, you. Grab him, Rollins. I got him. What are you looking so startled for? We called you. Inspector, I was right. I guess. You're right. Hey, you. Can't you talk? Look, look like this. I move my mouth. Talk. 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 That's a dumb I got it. Give me a pen and pencil. Sure. I'll write notes to this guy and he can write back to me. Here. What if he can't write? Then I'll make him your boss. Get lost, will you, Ronald? Have a look around and see what's in the rest of the house. Sure. 
All right. You and I are going to have a little spelling bee. Can you write? Oh, never mind. I'll just write out a question and see if you can write the answer. Does Sam Bellows live here? Take a look at this. Well, I hope a nod means yes. You'll have to write this answer, though. Who are you? Here, now you write. I am the maintenance man, but I know nothing. You want to see Frank Lewis, Mr. Bellows' financial advisor, or Larry Addington, his nephew. Okay, I can remember that. Don't look so pained. I'll pick the paper up off the floor before I leave. Hey, Inspector Faraday! What's the matter, Rollins? Come here, quick. Okay. I don't leave here, you. (laughs) As if you could hear me. What's up, Rollins? There's something that ought to be sort of interesting, Inspector. Well, Blackie's confession was the truth, huh? Sam Bellis is in a big red wheelchair with a knife in his chest. Sort of dead, too. Sure is. I've got Blackie sort of dead, too. Right. Well, thanks, Mary, for a wonderful evening. You're sure you don't mind if I leave Happy here in your apartment overnight? Oh, of course not, Charlie. He's a lovely dog. And he seems to like it there in my kitchen. Well, thanks, Mary. And thanks for the wonderful evening, too. And thank you for the wonderful dinner. And thank me for just tagging along, I suppose. Oh, now, I am not expecting anyone. Well, let's see who you are not expecting. Ah, alas, it is my secret lover. I confess all. Oh, come <laughs> in, come. Yes? Hello, Miss Wesley. Inspector Faraday. Some secret lover. Thank you, him. Yes, yes, come in. He was just leaving. Well, the pleasant part of the evening is over. You're here, Inspector. What do you want? You, Blackie. Mary's got a priority. Thank you, sir. Uh, Faraday, this is Charlie King. How are you? How do you, Inspector? I think we met on the phone several weeks ago. Oh, that's right. So you did. I hope you enjoyed yourself this evening, Blackie, because it's the last fun you're going to have for a long time. Why? Are you resigning from the force? I'm arresting you for murder, Blackie. Now, who did I kill? Sam Bellows. What? Blackie, you said you didn't see him. I didn't. Oh, no, of course not. And how'd you know he'd be found dead? Was he? He was. Come on, Blackie. I'm taking you down to headquarters, Faraday. Don't be stupid. And put that gun away. I'll put it away when you're tucked away. In jail. Come on. All right, Inspector. You win. But let me get my raincoat, will you, from the kitchen? Oh, no, you don't. But all I want to do Go is... Go into just... the kitchen and duck out the back way. But, huh? Inspector, I promise I'll you... I'll get the... your raincoat for you. Which is the kitchen door? Blackie, happy as you know. Yes, I'm happy about the whole thing, too. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Charlie. Oh, so everybody's happy, huh? That's fine. Now, which is the kitchen door? That one. Now, don't move, Blackie. I still have a gun on you. Yes, teacher. So long, Faraday. I'm leaving. Get me out from under this face-licking pony. What? So you can arrest me for murder, huh? Nothing doing. I'm leaving, Faraday. But I've got an idea, though. Fight him. At least that's news. For a reason he chose to keep to himself, Charlie Kingston, Blackie's millionaire friend, 
asked Blackie to do anything in his power to see and talk to a man named Sam Bellows. Unable to break into Bellows' home, Blackie came to Inspector Faraday with a story that he had killed Bellows in his home and should be taken to the scene of the crime. But Faraday suspected Blackie's confession was a trick and went to Bellows' home alone. There he found Bellows, murdered. Faraday then tried to arrest Blackie for murder, but Blackie, as usual, escaped. It is early the next morning. As we return to our story, Blackie and Charlie Kingston, dressed as policemen, are climbing the steps of Sam Bellows' house. Are you sure we'll get by the policeman at the top of the stairs? Look at your clothes. Wear policemen, too, remember? Mm-hmm. Won't this police guard recognize you? Not with a visor in my cap, though, Dan. Good morning, boys. Inspector sent you to relieve us? Uh, the relief men are coming up in a few minutes. Uh, Faraday sent up for a special detail, okay? Sure, sure. Go on in. Come on, Charlie. Right. Hey, wait, I'll open the door first. Thanks. Uh, who else is here? Only Thompson. He's upstairs. Okay, thanks. Well, that wasn't hard, was it? No, but I'm not used to this sort of thing. You'll live longer if you don't try to get used to it, Charlie. Let's have a look around. What do you expect to find? Something that will lead us to Bella's murderer and take me off a spot. Well, let's hope we find it. Hey, Charlie. Look at this crumpled paper on the floor. Yeah. Seems to be a note of some kind. Let's have a look at it. There seems to be two different kinds of handwriting on it. As, As if one person were asking questions and the other answering them. Faraday wrote the questions. I know that scrawl of his anywhere. Who wrote the answers? Someone who calls himself a maintenance man. He says he knows nothing, but mentions a financial advisor named Frank Lewis and a nephew, Larry Addington. I see. Faraday obviously met someone here in this house who could neither hear nor talk and had to write everything down. I suppose his information is useless, though. Not at all. A nephew and a financial advisor might be a perfect combination for a murder. I think I'll go up and see that advisor as soon as we're through here. Someone's coming in the front door. Probably the relief gun. Well, that special detail you sent in the house now, Inspector Faraday. Oh. Special detail? What are you talking about? Oh, this is fine. Come on, Charlie, out the back door. What if there isn't a back exit? Well, in that case, we'll get up speed, put our heads down, and make one. Yes? Frank Lewis? Yes. I'm Special Police Investigator John Jones. You were Sam Bellows' financial advisor, weren't you? Yes. I've had one visit from the police this morning, Inspector Faraday. I told him everything I could. Faraday sent me back to ask a few more questions, if you don't mind. I mind because I'm busy, but I suppose there's nothing I can do. What else do you want to know? More about the will. I told Inspector Faraday everything I know... The night before last, Bellows changed his will. Formerly, the entire estate was to be left to Larry Addington, his nephew, with the exception of 5000 to Ben Atkins, the deaf and dumb handyman in Bellows' home. Who did the new will benefit? Atkins again for $5,000, but instead of the remainder of the estate, about $100,000 being left to the nephew, Bellows chose to leave it to some charity, a dog and cat hospital. Any reason for doing this? Just so his nephew wouldn't get it. Cigarette? No, thanks. Don't mind if I smoke? Of course not. You say the will was changed the night before last and Larry Addington, the nephew, was cut out. 
Did Annington know this? I don't see how it was possible Bellows and his nephew seldom spoke to each other. Then it's possible, isn't it, that Addington killed his uncle thinking he'd get his money? Possibly. He's in constant trouble living above his means. He needs money. Hey, you smoke more of a cigarette than I thought. Why do you say that? These cigarettes in the ashtray here. I doubt if they've been puffed more than two or three times. Oh, they were left there by a client of mine who was here just a few minutes ago. Nervous, huh? Very. Look what he does to paper matches. Takes the ends and rips them up the middle. Is there anything else I can tell you about the Sam Bellows matter? Yes. Where can I get in touch with Larry Addington? Larry lives at the Baker house. Thanks. You think Larry might have killed his uncle, believing he was still mentioned in the will? Yes, I do. And I have an idea that you're a little leery of Larry yourself. You have to stand still, Mr. Addington. Well, hurry up, will you, Martin? I'm trying to hurry, Mr. Addington, but I can't face the coat. You don't stand still. I don't like to stand still. Oh, we're going to be interrupted again. Come in. Tom, I told you not Larry to... Larry Addington in here? I'm Larry Addington. Good. I'd like to talk to you. Yeah, some other time. I'm busy having a fitting. Did my man let you come in here? Please, Mr. Addington, stand still. Uh, where do you intend going in that tweet, Addington? To a racetrack? Uh, your opinion is uncalled for, and so is your presence. Yeah, Mr. Addington, how do you like the way the coat hangs out? Oh. Well, I guess so. Why all the new clothes, Addington? Anything wrong with a few new suits? Since my uncle was killed, I'm rich. Are you? Yes, yes. I uh, want to look the part of a man who's just come into a fortune. Well, look the part if you want to, Addington, but you haven't come into a dime. <laughs> Wait till you read the paper. <laughs> Wait till you read the will. My uncle left his money to me. Uh, Mr. Martin. Yes? Don't just stand there. I don't have all day. Oh, I was interested in this man's remark about your uncle's will. What remark? Uh, Forgive me, but he said... I said uh, Addington here was completely cut out of his uncle's will. What? That's not true. I saw my uncle's will last week. Well, you should have seen it last night or the night before last, just before he was killed. He changed it? He made a slight amendment, Addington. He cut me off? Without a cent. How do you know? I just talked with Frank Lewis. He was your uncle's financial advisor. Why would he tell you anything? Um, I have what you might call a slight interest in your uncle's murder... You aren't suggesting that If I... someone had suggested to you that your uncle was going to change his will, you might have killed him before he had had a chance to change it. I didn't know his will was going to be changed. That'll be hard to prove. Uh, well, just try to prove I killed him. You know something, pal? That's exactly what I'm going to do. Charlie, this is Blackie. Yes, Blackie. Mary said you were going to see Bellows' financial advisor and the nephew, Addington. How have things worked out? All right so far. I just left the nephew. Is he your man? I don't know. He thought he was going to get his uncle's money, so he might have killed him. The person we've overlooked is the deaf and dumb handyman Faraday found in the Bellows' house when he discovered the body. How could he be involved? He was left $5,000 in every will Bellows wrote. He might have discovered that Bellows had cut the nephew off and... Killed his employer, thinking maybe suspicion would be all on the angry nephew. Well, I suppose a man of his means would kill for 5000 wouldn't he? Charlie, there have been murders for five cents. I think I'm going to get some more dope on that handyman. But Blackie, you can get back into Bellows' house. Faraday will have his policeman checking everyone who comes within a block of the place. I know it. 
I've been ducking Faraday so much today, I'm getting stoop-shouldered. <laughs> is Mary there? No, no, she isn't. I thought I could send her into Bellows' house as a, oh, well, a, say a newspaper reporter. She could get by Faraday's men with, with dark glasses and a new hairdo. I know where you can reach her. She just left here to take Happy down to the Mayfair Dog Hospital for a general checkup. Oh, thanks, Charlie. I'll go down there and meet her. Maybe I even belong with the dogs after the way Faraday's been hounding me. Something I can do for you, sir? Uh, yes. Is there a young lady here with a rather large dog? She brought him in for a checkup, I think. No, there isn't. This is the Mayfair Animal Hospital, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, I guess I got here too soon. Mind if I wait? Not at all. Um, is there a, a chair or a, a bench around Perhaps here? Perhaps you'd like to wait in my office. Oh, thanks. This way. Think that chair will be comfortable? Thank you. No, I think I've seen your picture in the paper. Strange what papers will do for news sometimes. Yes, you certainly look familiar. Uh, I'm Seth Peters. Cigarette? No, thanks. Mind if I smoke? None at all. Uh, there isn't by any chance another Mayfair Animal Hospital in town, is it? Not that I know of. Hmm. Mary and Happy must have been delayed on the way down here. Hmm, what'd you say? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Oh. Do you, um, always do that? Huh? Uh, take, what? Those, take those matches and tear them. Oh, nervous habit. Try to break it, but I can't. Oh, I see. Would you mind pushing the ashtray over this way? Of course not. I'll put your cigarette out. How's your friend, Frank Lewis? Who? Frank Lewis, the financial advisor. I don't know any Frank Lewis. Why do you ask? That cigarette of yours makes me ask. A cigarette? Something wrong with it? Why, no. You put it out rather suddenly. Oh, <laughs> I never take more than three or four drags. And you don't know Frank Lewis? Oh, does he have the same habit? No, but you're lying when you say you don't know him. He has a client who does the same thing with matches and cigarettes. You. Well, no. Here. Lewis said Sam Bellows left his money to a dog and cat hospital. I think if I looked at Bellows' will, I'd find that it was, uh, this place of yours. I don't know about that. You said you didn't know Frank Lewis. Yet you were up in his office this morning. It's not true. The ashtray in his desk was filled with torn matches and cigarettes barely smoked. You own this place? Yes, you. That doesn't mean a thing. It means plenty. It means you killed Bellows for his money and then went to Lewis to collect. The fact that he denied you'd been there makes him part of the scheme. Just because I own this place, you think I killed Bellows, huh? It'd be worth your while. Well, I don't own this place. I merely front for the man who does. All right, who's the real owner? Frank Lewis, he's the man you want. Didn't even know Bellows was dead until Lewis called me to his office this morning. Come on, Peters. You're going down to police headquarters. But I tell you, I didn't kill anyone. Lewis did. He forced Bellows to change his will night before last, then killed him. Set that story to music, Peters, because when we get to police headquarters, you're going to sing. Well, I guess that's about all there is to tell, Mary. When Peters got through talking, Faraday had Lewis in jail. That clears up everything, Jackie, except why you wanted to get in to see Bellows in the first place. Because Charlie here asked me to. Oh. Didn't know it was going to get you into such trouble, Blackie. Oh, I don't mind trouble, Charlie. But I do like to know why I'm getting into it. You never did tell me why you wanted me to see Bellows. 
Or Bellows was an engineer in one of my plants a few years ago. He disappeared with some important blueprints. For business reasons, I had to find Bellows and recover the prints quietly. I thought it was best to come to you. Well, we certainly had a quiet time of it, didn't we? <laughs> hey, let's not forget that Charlie's dog helped solve this case. Yes, I suppose Happy did have a share in this, didn't he? Sure, I think Inspector Faraday should give Happy a medal. Or make him a member of the board. Oh, Blackie, don't be silly. How could Happy be a police dog? He doesn't even begin to look like one. Secret Service. Ooh, Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Burns and Allen, followed by Challenge of the Yukon. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.